I love being in Mississippi. My name's Cameron, and I am an alcoholic who doesn't drink. Now, think about that. I'm an alcoholic that doesn't drink, and I know there's alcoholics on this channel here that don't drink. Now, that's a paradox, right? That's a paradox, because everything in my experience tells me I'm going to drink again, and yet I don't. And I love, I love meeting other alcoholics who don't drink. You know, it tells me a lot about their, their program. You know, I like, and that's one of my favorite ways to introduce myself as an alcoholic doesn't drink. Sometimes when I'm in a room, especially with a lot of codgers, you know, a lot of those old timers, you know, those crusty old, old timers and sobriety. And I'll go, my name's Cameron, intelligent agent, spearhead of God's ever advancing creation. It's great to be here. And that gets the old guys always wound up. Who does he think he is? Lots of fun ways we can introduce ourselves in this amazing program we call Alcoholics Anonymous. So I, I was talking with uh, Jeannie and Josh about what, what could we share tonight. Um, you know, they uh, I kind of came to know this group because of some someone heard my talk, and I think it was London, England, in AA and uh, posted on uh, some podcast, Mad Dog Recovery or something, and um, I got connected uh, with you guys that way. And... Um, you know, that, that, that share, I think a lot of people have already heard. So I thought, what can I do differently tonight? And we thought about step one, because everything's predicated on our step one. We're all here because of that horrific step one experience. And step one, it really is the foundation uh, that leads and motivates the, the untreated alcoholic to seek a solution with all their honesty, willingness, and open-mindedness that they can muster up. But, unless, but if that foundation isn't there, it can be very problematic. So I want to talk about step one. And, and the way I'm going to introduce it, and I will post a link to a PDF if you like this approach. Uh, this approach is great for newcomers in helping them get armed with the facts about themselves and whether or not they need to be here. And for those of you that are sponsoring others and looking for, you know, an approach on step one that really brings it together for the newcomer where they realize, you know, oh my God, I better do something or I'm going to be on the gates of insanity or death. I have found this uh, a very useful approach. And it's a big book um, approach. I'm, I'm what's called a big book sponsor. I use the big book as my main narrative for guiding uh, the untreated alcoholic through the steps. Uh, when I work with others, uh, as Jeannie mentioned, I do a workshop. Actually, I'm doing one on Sunday where we do 12 steps in four hours where we outline the entire program of action. And, and in those four hours, uh, a participant will understand the scope and breadth of a 12-step program, how to live the program daily in the disciplines of 10 and 11, and most importantly, how to carry the message to the alcoholic that's in that seemingly inescapable hole and show them a way out. And so um, when I take someone through the steps one-on-one, -on -one, I usually do it in about 10 days. Because if you think about lack of power, that's our dilemma. How much time do we really have to work with the untreated alcoholic? Do we have a year? I don't think so. I even find 90 days dicey. Even 30 days can be problematic. So if lack of powers are a dilemma, let's get them through the steps as quickly as possible. And if you know your history, you know, Ebby Thatcher was 60 days sober when he carried the message to Bill. Bill was seven days sober, just out of Towns Hospital, third, third treatment center detox, and frantically went looking for other alcoholics to work with. Dr. Bob was two weeks sober when they carried the message to Bill Dotson, AA number three. 
I love the story he sold himself short with that story of Earl T who um, founded AA Chicago and Earl had been hanging around the rooms of Akron there, you know, deciding, do I really need to be in this deal? And he came to the conclusion that he, he needed to be. And he went to see Dr. Bob in his office. The story's called, he sold himself short. And in that story, he talks about how he went through the steps. And in those days, they went through them really quickly. He talked about meeting with Dr. Bob in his office. They immediately went into a step three prayer. And then Dr. Bob told him his inventory. He didn't wait to hear his inventory. But Dr. Bob just told him his inventory. Earl, you self-centered, self-seeking, conceited, sarcastic son of a bitch. Now let's talk about that. He just gave it to him. And then they talked about amends. And then at the end of this three to four hour process, he describes they cut him loose. He says, go start AA Chicago. Come on back to Akron every couple of months. Let's talk about your experience. And that's the way they worked it. They knew that the power of the program was in sponsorship. You know, we get to keep it by giving it away. And as sponsors, our goal is to get the newcomer through those steps as quickly as possible so that they can enjoy the joy and the freedom that we find as sponsors. Because what do sponsors talk about? We talk about our newcomers relapsing, right? So let's get them through the steps. Let's get them connected to that power that we have found and broker that amazing deal where we introduce the prospect to that divine consciousness. I always think we're, you know what we are? We're spiritual pimps. God, dickweed, dickweed, God. I like the term dickweed. That means a total loser. Um, I'm always looking for a good loser to take through the steps. And, and that's what we do. We broker this spiritual relationship between God and the newcomer so that they can connect to a power that's far greater than alcohol. Because let's face it, alcohol is a, a really powerful substance. And unless we can plug into a substance that's greater than the alcohol, not only greater than ourselves, but greater than the alcohol, I will always go back to the power that I know. And, and so... And I'm here to bear witness, and as some of you others can bear witness, that this power we connect to is far greater than any booze I've ever consumed. So this approach, approach today is about step one, and how do, we, how do we approach the newcomer so we can best arm them with the facts about themselves and they can draw that conclusion that they want to be in this deal. Now, in this presentation, I hope nobody will consider and this is right out of our big book on page 29, my self-revealing accounts in bad taste. My only hope is that anyone suffering from alcoholism will see um, the need and, and by disclosing uh, ourselves and our problems, they'll be persuaded to say, and this is always the conclusion I'm trying to achieve when I'm winning the confidence of the newcomers. They go, you know what? I'm like you, Cameron, and you're like me but you don't drink anymore. How is that possible? And I want what you got. That's really what we're trying to achieve in our story. And I, and I also want to say that every member of Alcoholics Anonymous has a story to share. And it's an important story. We need to hear your story because somewhere in our fellowship, there is an ear that desperately needs to hear your story so that they can identify with you and say, hey, I'm like you, you're like me, you don't do it anymore, show me what I have to do. And then we can take that untreated alcoholic on that wonderful journey to touch the face of God and recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So our job as big book sponsors is to win the confidence 
uh, to explain our approach and win the newcomer's confidence. Now, there's three things that we need to do as sponsors to win the entire confidence of a newcomer. There's a passage in our big book on page 18 and 19 where it says, but the ex-problem drinker. So that's number one. We're ex-problem drinkers. I'm an alcoholic who doesn't drink. That's an ex-problem drinker. That's a very compelling picture to someone who wants to stop but can't stop. Hey, you stop. How is that possible? Who has found this solution? What's our solution? The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Who's properly armed with the facts about themselves? They understand what it means to be an alcoholic. They know what an alcoholic is. They know what it's like to live in that hole and, and, and more importantly, how to climb out of it. They're armed with the facts about themselves. And this person can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in just a few hours. But until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. So it goes on to say that the person who's making the approach has had the same difficulty. What's the same difficulty we all share? What's the hair we all split? Lack of control. We all share that same problem. Because if any one of us here could control our drinking, would we be on this channel listening to this dickweed talk for the next 50 minutes? I don't think so, right? We'd be all out nursing our, our favorite uh, drink. That they've had the same difficulty, that they obviously know what they're talking about, and that their whole department shouts at the prospect that they're a person with a real answer. You ever met anyone in these rooms? They're 5, 10, 15 years sober, but whatever they got, you don't want it? You ever met a few of those in the rooms? I've met some of the some alcoholics that have been living in what I call sobriety, and whatever they got, I don't want it, right? So I'm looking for someone whose deportment shouts at me that they got a real answer, that there is joy and freedom and happiness and excitement and purpose and everything else in recovery. So step one says we admit that we're powerless over alcohol and that our lives become unmanageable. Well, what does that look like? What does, it really, what does it really mean to be powerless? How do you know I'm powerless? How do I know you're powerless? How do you know my life's unmanageable? What, how do I know your life's unmanageable when it comes to alcohol? What does that mean? What does it look like? So as we all know that we have this thing in our, our rooms where we identify with one another. You know, that's why a lot of us identify. Hi, my name's Cameron. I'm an alcoholic. We're identifying. But, you know, how do we effectively share our story with a newcomer and win their entire confidence? Now, I've heard lots of different things shared in the rooms of AA. I've heard people talking about prostituting themselves, living on the streets, going to jail. And, you know, these things may happen, but that's not what makes me an alcoholic. More, worse yet is if I haven't done those things, and I never, that's not my experience. I've never had to prostitute myself or go to jail or live on the street. I've come close, but I've never actually had to do it. And so there's a disconnect in my brain where I go, well, that's not me. Maybe I'm not an alcoholic. You know, just because my boss thinks I have a drinking problem, because I wore a lampshade on my head at the Christmas office party doesn't make me an alcoholic. Doesn't make me a lamp either, right? These, these, these approaches to identification, I find can often fall short. So the question is, is, how do we share our story in a way that's effective where it goes, hey, I'm like you, you're like me, you don't do it anymore, and I want what you have. 
What I love about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is it's written like a recipe, a recovery recipe. And if we follow the instructions, the end result is a spiritual awakening that separates us from that merciless desire to drink. So our big book gives us specific instructions and it gives us specific instructions on how to share our message. And in the, um, the doctor's opinion on Roman numeral 28, it says the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth or weight. You know, when, when someone tells me, you know, they can go to the pub and have, have, have a, a drink and then stop there, but they like to do it every day. Is that really, is that, is, is that an alcoholic? You know, the hair that I'm always splitting is, is can you control it? Like you give me a drink of, bourbon's my drink as a share with Ginny. it releases my inner asshole and uh once i start drinking like i'd like to tell you i'm just going to go to the pub have a shot of bourbon a couple pints of beer and come home but once i start i can't predict what that's going to look like and it could last you know any length of time so does our story have depth and weight and the depth and weight we're illustrating is our lack of control when it comes to drinking the next passage it talks about, and this is on page 92 in the chapter, Working with Others. What a great chapter of sponsorship. Tell the newcomer enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences, and encourage them to talk about themselves. So I'm going to share some stuff about my drinking, my habits, my experiences. Remember, our stories are supposed to disclose what we were like, what happened, and what we're like today. Not what it was like, but what we were like. What are my habits? What are my symptoms when it comes to drinking? What are your habits? What are your symptoms when it comes to drinking? And then we begin to tell them how baffled we were, how we finally learned that we were sick. Remember at that point when you were drinking and you realized you weren't drinking like other people. Like there was something different about the way you drink. Like my wife, my wife's a muggle. Now I call the non-alcoholics muggles. That's a Harry Potter term for non-wizard. Some people call them normies or earth people. I like the term muggle. My wife's a muggle. And uh, when she has a drink, which is very rarely, she gets that warm and fuzzy feeling that I get. But then she gets a little nauseous and she gets sleepy and she doesn't like that so she stops drinking i never ever had that experience when it comes to alcohol i remember my very first drink like it was yesterday i was 20 years old my first day at college and i was invited to pub night and i chose to have a rum and coke when i drank this rum and coke a cameron came out to play that was unlike any other Cameron I had experienced. And I really liked this Cameron. And everybody else seemed to like this Cameron, too. Of course, that Cameron got a little crazy. I ended up, I forget how many drinks I had. Must have been 20 rum and cokes. And then there's the projectile vomiting and the bed spins. And, oh, my God, I'm never going to drink again. But where was I a few days later? Back at pub night, slinging back the rum and cokes. Because I like the effect, right? So... And, and, and as the illness progressed, I, I started drinking like my, my friends were drinking differently from me. When I would drink, I, I'm drinking and I'm continuing to drink and I don't want to stop. Right. And, and they had long, long ago had stopped. It goes on to say that um, give them an account of the struggles. Now, this is a key point. Give them an account of the struggles 
what I call the failed strategies you made to stop. Think of all those different ways you've tried to stop and show the newcomer how that mental twist or what I like to call this liar that lives in my head always leads me to that first drink of the spree. Now, there's a passage in the doctor's opinion that I use. Sometimes, you know, um, it depends on where we, you know, when we chair a meeting, sometimes the chairperson is asked to qualify. And I find this passage out of the doctor's opinion such an apt description of what an alcoholic is and how to qualify as an alcoholic. It says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect. You all like the effect, right? Now, if you're working with a newcomer and they go, no, 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 I don't like the effect anymore. What are they really saying? They don't like the consequences. But I like the effect that alcohol has on my body. That's that body allergy, the physical component of our illness that the uh, the doctor opinion talks about. I like the effect so much of alcohol. I like it more than every job I was fired from. I like the effect of alcohol more than my children. I used to get in the, I remember going to the movies once with my son and there's four of us in the car. We're all impaired and we take my little boy off to the movies. Like, you know, just complete irresponsibility, disregard for the safety of my own children because I like the effect of alcohol more than that. I like it more than my marriage. My wife would beg and plead and offer those frothy emotional appeals, threaten me with divorce but I like the effect of alcohol more than my own marriage. I like the effect of alcohol so much that I'm willing to risk my life. In 2000, my doctor said, Cameron, you've got liver disease. Your enzymes are through the roof. Your liver's distended. And he says, unless you stop, you're going to die. And the first thought that crossed my mind was, I need a drink right now. That's awful news. And drank for three more years on that news. Now, the muggles, they don't get that at all. My wife is just baffled by it. My wife's what I call a JDD girl. Just don't drink, which is really the solution, but I can't seem to implement it. Why is that? You know, I'm like, I, I you know, I use this analogy, which I, I use in AA and in other fellowships. Like I, I do a lot of speaking in Cocaine Anonymous and uh, I can be a lot grittier. But in AA, you know, it's it's a lot different. A lot of saints and virgins in the rooms of AA. So I don't cuss and I keep my talk pretty clean. So I came up with this analogy. Some of you will recognize it comes from the book of Solomon. As an untreated alcoholic, I'm like a dog that returns to its own vomit. You ever seen a dog eat something that makes it foully sick? And what does the dog do? It eats the vomit, only to throw it up again, only to eat the vomit, only to throw it up again. That's what I'm like as an untreated alcoholic. I'm like a dog that continuously returns to its own vomit. And it's baffling to me because I know it's going to make me sick. Why is that? So. It goes on to say in our instructions or in this description, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, and I know the alcohol is injurious to my life and my kids' life and my family life and my work life, but I can't differentiate the true from the false. Now, what does that mean? So our big book talks about that mental blank spot, that strange phenomenon that parallels our sound reasoning. I call it the liar. I got this liar that lives in my head and the liar loves the effect produced by alcohol. And under no circumstance does it ever want to give it up. So what it does is it's built this research institute in my brain called 
Bullshit Inc. And it researches new ideas and new excuses and new justifications and reason. Even though I know my life is in the toilet, I burn the light to the ground. This time when I have a drink, somehow, some way, I'm going to be able to control and enjoy it. Y'all relate to that liar trying to convince you to have another drink? And here's the problem. The liar would always win the argument. The liar would always win the argument. Now, it goes on to say, and this is what I this is what I was like as an untreated alcoholic. It goes on to say that we're restless, irritable, discontented. I like to add to that list. I'm bored. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like feeling that way. So my solution is to drink. All right. My solution is to drink. Drinking's not my problem. Drinking's my solution. Running out is a problem. But drinking is my solution. And in the beginning, it seemed like the answer. Remember when we first started drinking and that amazing effect washed over us and we went, yeah, this is what I've been looking for. And it seemed like the answer. But unfortunately, our illness is progressive. And it goes on to say that to them, their alcoholic life is the only normal one. Being impaired on alcohol is normal for me. Being straight and sober isn't. That's not normal for me. Being drunk is. And that's, that's what I equated as normal. And it goes on to um, say that unless I can again experience that sense of ease and comfort. Remember, every time I'd relapse, I'd go to the pub, I'd have a, a couple shots of bourbon, and that feeling would wash over me. And I'd go, yeah, that's how I like to feel. That's exactly why I want to feel this way. Why did I ever quit in the first place, right? And I'm off again. And it goes, so I, I succumb to the desire again uh, for that sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once. I do it because I get my relief fast by taking a few drinks, which I see others like my wife doing with impunity. How does she do that? And then my liar tries to convince me, well, you got just as much resolve as your wife does. You can quit when you want to. Let's have a drink. And I succumb to the desire. And of course, I find I can't control my consumption. And it goes on to say once and then when when it goes from being a luxury to something quite insidious and dark, what happens is, is I, I go, I have that drink. And then once I start, that phenomenon of craving develops where I want more and I can't seem to stop that craving for more. And then I go through a very specific pattern and all alcoholics, in fact, all addicts, regardless of their addiction, whether they be alcohol or drugs or even the acting out addictions like sex and food and cutting and hoarding and gambling, they all experience this pattern of addiction. They start what's called the spree. Once they drink, or use or act out, they go on a spree where they can't control their behavior or consumption. And it's going to run its course. It's like sex with an 800-pound gorilla, and it's the gorilla that tells you when it's over. And then eventually we emerge from the spree full of remorse and horror and hopelessness. Oh, my God, I got to stop. And we make a firm resolution not to do it again. We've all done that coming off a spree, right? And I'm convinced if any one of us was hooked up to a lie detector test, it would register as truthful. I really believe that. But here's the problem. I don't know how to live with it. And I don't know how to live without it. 
And so I, I go to the rooms of AA because I'm told, go to AA, go to 12-step meeting, go to, go to a meeting. Meeting makers make it. And I go to a meeting, but there's no solution in this meeting. It's just one, one of those meetings where you sit around and you, um, it's, it's all problem-oriented. Problem, problem, problem. Like an Oprah wine fest. You ever been to a meeting like that? I call them open, disgusting meetings. No solution, just problem, problem, problem. And by the end of the meeting, I'm like a psychological casualty. It's been group therapy without a therapist. I'm a psychological ca- casualty. There's been no experience, no strength, no, no experience. And now I need a meeting to fix the meeting I'm supposed to get that. You ever been to one of those meetings? They're awful meetings. And of course, I sit there with no solution. And what happens? I get restless, irritable, discontented, bored, depressed. The liar comes out of remission and says, hey, we need our solution. And the liar always wins the argument. And I succumb to the desire again. And out I go. And I go around that wheel of misfortune. Spree, remorse, resolution. Spree, remorse, resolution. Pursuing my love of alcohol to the gates of insanity or death. Raise your hand if you know someone who's died from, from alcoholism. I've buried 42 people that I've worked with directly that are dead. And I bury most people to alcohol death. Now, out of the 42 people that I buried, nine hung themselves in sobriety. Why would someone hang themselves in sobriety? We get people, they come into the rooms and they enter into that sobriety where there's no solution. They're just white knuckling it just for today. I won't drink. And they go insane five, 10 years of sobriety, and they end up taking their own lives. Do you know the suicide rates in 12 steps today is 80 times higher than normal society? That's in the Oxford Handbook to Psychiatry. 80 times. An untreated alcoholic in the first five years of their untreated alcoholism in sobriety is 80 times more likely to take their own life. And it's a real problem. Some of you may have known some people that have committed suicide. And this is the horror of step one. The realization that no matter what I do, nothing secular, nothing human is going to stop me from having another drink. And for me to have another drink is to die. And it goes on to say, and this is the final nail in the coffin as it's repeated over and over and over again, unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope for their recovery. Now, they're alluding to a solution, a psychic change. What do they mean by that? What is a psychic change? I don't know. But they're telling me without it, I'm going to die. Yet as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's more than 18. It'll be 19 years this November since I've had any desire to drink or, you know, use or act out. How is that possible? Because I met someone in these rooms armed with the facts about themselves. They had a solution. They won my confidence. And they showed me how to work a program and plug into a power that lets me easily control that desire to drink. And as a result of that ability, I was able to use this program to rebuild a destroyed marriage. My wife and I are celebrating 32 years of marriage this year. I have the, and she's my best friend, my confidence, my soulmate, my business partner. I, I have the love and trust of my children who are 36 and 38. My son has a, a 12-year-old autistic boy, severely autistic. And for me to be sober, to support my son in his challenges, man, that's a gift AA gives me day in and day out. And uh, my liver went back to normal after uh, six years. Another miracle of this program. I went back to university. You know, I, I noticed three things that predict good recovery. One, we work with others. 
Two, we go back to school. We fix, you know, we improve ourselves, make ourselves more useful to our careers, our families. You know, the third thing I see in our fellowship that tells me people got good recovery, they fix their teeth. <laughs> I don't know what it is about teeth, but who's got money for teeth when we're out there, right? And uh, I went back to university because there's a line in the big book that says, go out and see what other religious people are doing. So I thought, I'll go get a degree in religions. And in 2016, I graduated top of my class medical anthropology and religions. I've started groups. I've been GSR. I've been secretary treasurer. I've done a lot of the positions at uh, the area level. I've served on conventions. Uh, I'm currently the archive. I'm on the archive committee for the greater Toronto uh, AA intergroup. And, uh, and I've traveled all over the world speaking in rooms like this, man. It is a stellar life to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what I, I, that's another way I like to identify. Hi, my name's Cameron. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because as a member, I'm an alcoholic who doesn't drink. That's what membership means. If you're drinking, you're not a member. You're just an alcoholic. But if you're an alcoholic who doesn't drink, hey, welcome on board to this amazing fellowship we call Alcoholics Anonymous. So identification. Now, identification with the other alcoholic behavior patterns vary. I'm an everyday bourbon drinker. But I know people who drink who drink wine only. I know other drinkers who drink beer only. I know some drinkers that are weekend warriors, binge users. I know blackout drunks. I've worked with blackout drunks who smoke crack cocaine, not because they're crack cocaine addicts, but they smoke the crack so they can stay lucid and drink longer. So behavior patterns can vary a lot, even within our, our particular uh, tradition of drinking. So how do we identify with all these different patterns going on? So the first step is powerlessness. What does it mean to be powerless? So I have this approach where I use this analogy. As alcoholics, as men and women, we know we're drowning as alcoholics. And we know unless we keep our heads above water, we're going to drown. So we're desperate for some kind of power. So we see floating on the surface these logs. I think I'll swim to the log. I'll hold on to the log. The log will keep my head above water and I won't drown. But as a power, I might be able to hold on to the log for a day, a week, a month, maybe even a, a year or longer. But at some point, the log fails me as a power and I slip and drown. And logs are best described as easier, softer ways, middle of the road solutions, half measures or human aids. So I do what I call is a log list. And I, again, I'll post uh, a link to the PDF on this, uh, this presentation. If you like this approach, you can, uh, for those of you that are sponsoring, you can try it with your next prospect. And if you're new to the program, you can use it as a great way to diagnose whether or not you belong here. So admitting powerlessness. So I go through a list of the failed strategy. Remember, it says talk about the failed strategies we made to try to stop. Now, the first failed strategy I have is willpower. We've all tried to muster up the willpower, put all that resolve together, and yet succumb to the desire again. That's usually the first log that we all burn. And along with that goes resolutions, oath, promises, contracts. What about controlled drinking? How many of us tried controlled drinking as a solution? I'm just here for one drink. And I really believe that. But once I start that log got burned pretty quickly. Harm reduction, you know, substitution strategy. I thought, I can't drink anymore, so I started smoking marijuana. But you know what? I got bored with the marijuana, and then what happened? I went back to the bourbon. Ill health. I've been really sick, physically sick. I had liver disease, and yet that didn't stop me from drinking. 
That was another log. Ominous warnings from my doctor. Cameron, you got to stop or you're going to die. That didn't stop me. That was a log. Change of environment, trigger list, avoiding people, places, and things. I moved from Toronto back to my old hometown, Burlington. Do you know what? They had bars in Burlington. (laughs) So the geographic cure didn't work out too well. Then I tried counseling, therapy, group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, all good stuff, but it never kept me sober. The next log I burned was detox. I, I, used to, I didn't go to an actual detox. I used to take these spiritual retreats, the detox. And I would detox and I'd feel great, but then I'd get back out and then the memory of the warm and fuzzy experience and detox would fade. And then the restless, irritable disposition came back and I succumbed to desire and I was out again. So that was another log. War stories, fear and horror. We've all heard war stories. Hell, my own war story doesn't keep me sober. Do you think your war story is going to keep me sober? I tell tell a lot of newcomers, you know, hey, chances are you're not going to do it. You're going to die. And then I'm going to come to your funeral. And then I'm going to have sex with your wife. And they get all wound up about that. But do you think that sobers them up? It doesn't sober them up. Actually, people are so young in the fellowship now. I can't use that joke. I usually tell them I'm going to have sex with their mothers. And that gets them wound up. One one guy said to me, he goes, whoa, whoa, Cameron, you haven't seen my wife. (laughs) But it's a log like anything else. It's fun to crack off. (laughs) Uh, relationships. How many of us tried to sober up for our friends, our families, our spouses, our children, right? And that didn't have the power. Uh, I've seen people try to get dogs and cats and try and get a pet and be responsible. That was a log. Church and prayer, the faith without works log. Having a sponsor, a mentor, a life coach, a bodyguard, that never kept me sober. 90 meetings, 90 days, right? Meeting makers make it. Not if you're going to those open, disgusting meetings, you're not going to make it. Um, Yesterday's spiritual experience. I couldn't stay drunk on yesterday's bottle of bourbon, and I can't stay sober on yesterday's spiritual experience. Every day, I got to seek God's power in my life. I got to plug into that spiritual dope, that God dope. Um, self-help books, personal development courses. I did all those. They, they were great, but they never kept me sober. Recovery knowledge, reading my big book. I know people that know their big books forward and backwards. They can quote verse and chapter. They can tell you who wrote what, and they can't seem to bake the recovery recipe. You may know some people like that. All that recovery knowledge never kept me sober. Intelligence. I meet a lot of very intelligent people in the rooms. People with masters and PhDs, hopelessly drunk. Intelligence is another big log. It's baffling. Why can't I think my way through this? Another log, um, frothy emotional appeals, interventions, threats, ultimatums. They never work. Positive thinking, affirmations. You know, some people go, oh, Cameron, you're so negative. I need someone who can be more positive. I go, well, I can be positive. They go, really? I go, yeah, I'm positive you're going to relapse. And they get all wound up with that, you know, positive thinking. Remember Stuart Smalley from SNL, the uh, the the codependents, codependent alcoholics. I'm I'm hi, I'm Stuart Smalley, and I'm good enough and capable. And doggone it, people just like me. Positive affirmations. It was a cute spoof on all that stuff. Um, guilt, shame, remorse never kept me sober. Good days, bad days. When's the best day to go out for a drink? Every day, right? And a good day was always a great day to get loaded. Keeping busy, that was a log. Having money, no money was a log. 
memory strategies. Remember when, think, 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 play the tape all the way through. When do we always remember when? After the fact, right? Why? Because the liar's running my brain untreated. So I have no defense against that liar. And the liar always wins the argument. So memory, I always remembered when after the fact. Uh, jail and incarceration, good reasons to stop, moral and philosophical convictions, logs, logs, suffering, humiliation, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralizing experience. Think of some of those things that happened in your life. And did that sober you up? Another log I found, uh, sobriety time, one of the big sacred cows, right? I had a year of sobriety time. Why would I go out after a year? But I did. Exercise, holistic medicine, acupuncture, hypnotism, et cetera, et cetera. All of these were logs. And what happens is when I do a log list with the newcomer and I share all my failed strategies and they're sharing all of theirs, something begins to happen. They go, hey, I'm like you. Yeah, and I'm like you too. And here's the thing I like about a log list. It is a summation of the first 43 pages of our big book. Now, it takes a long time to go through 43 pages of the big book. But here we can do it in less than a page and identify with all those failed strategies, all those, those logs. And as a sponsor, it tells me how powerless you are. And as a newcomer, you begin to crystallize in your own mind how powerless you are. And here's the last thing I'll say about a log list. It's universal, whether you're an alcoholic, a drug addict, or one of those crazy acting out addictions. All addicts burn the same logs. So I can work with any kind of addiction pattern and win their confidence on the log approach and not get a disconnect. They realize I'm just as powerless as you. You're just as powerless as me, but you don't do it anymore. And I want what you got. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't the log list that drove me into the rooms because people would say, Cameron, are you an alcoholic? And I'd say, you're damn right I am. Let's go get a drink. It was the second part of step one, and that was the unmanageability, what I call the loser list. Because I'm when I drink, I am losing, and I'm on a trajectory to the gates of insanity or death. And a lot of people, sometimes I'll ask the qualifying question, are you a loser? And they don't like that. Now, I don't do it to be mean. I'm trying to wake the alcoholic, the fact that their log list tells them they will pick up another drink, and for them to pick up another drink is to put them on that trajectory to the gates of insanity or death. So let's take a look at what you've lost. And I go through the list, time, family, spouse, children, friends, money, residence, health, safety, hygiene, opportunities, careers, your license, education, quality of life, self-esteem, self-confidence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we look at all the things we lost. And at the end of that, I share all the things I've lost. They share all the things I've lost. They've lost. And I go, I ask you again, are you a loser? And they go, oh, and you put it like that. Yeah, my life is unmanageable and I'm losing. I'm going to the gates of insanity or death. And what I love about a loser list is that as the sponsor, it tells me how grave the prospect situation is. It tells me how close they are to the gates of insanity or death. And for the newcomer, it begins to crystallize in their own mind, the urgency and the graveness at hand. And one last thing about a loser list, it's universal. All addicts lose the same things pursuing the love of their addiction to the gates of insanity or death. And with that approach, now I, I can ask those two diagnosing questions. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. And then I ask, do you honestly want to stop drinking? And if it's yes, 
based on your log list, have you been able to stay stop? No. And if when drinking, you have little control of the amount you take, you're probably an alcoholic. Do you exhibit little control when drinking? Yes, I do. Well, if that be the case, you're suffering from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Now, what I've described here is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic. Our behavior patterns vary, but this description of the log and loser list should roughly identify you. And now we begin to we begin to arm the newcomer with the facts about themselves and alcoholism. So now we can do that all important step one instruction where we learn that we had to fully concede to our innermost self, not to me, but to your innermost self to defeat the liar that I'm an alcoholic. And this is our first step. And the delusion or the lie that we're like other people. Remember, the liar wants to create doubt. The liar wants to create the doubt that you can possibly control it. But there can be no lurking notion of that. It has to be smashed. Are you, are you, you, know, are you at that point where you, you're convinced that you're an alcoholic? Yes or no? And so there's good news and bad news to this. First, the bad news. We are without defense against the first drink. Why? Because the liar always wins. And based on your log list, is that your experience? And the idea that somehow someday we'll control and enjoy our drinking is the great obsession of every alcoholic. Right? And it goes on to say, you, over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. It is a downward slide into insanity or death. Is that your experience? And many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. And based on your loser list, is this your experience? And I begin to get that traction with the newcomer. And now they're properly armed with the facts about themselves. Now you can conclude here, say, congratulations, you're going to die, because that's the conclusion at the end of step one. Now, we don't want to leave the newcomer there because that's being really mean. What we want to do and what the purpose of our rooms is, the good news. There is a solution. There is a way out. This is what our rooms should be about. We've got a way out. we got a way to show you how to recover from a seeming hopeless state of mind and body. There is a solution. And if you're seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. We are in a life where life was becoming impossible. And here's how I use their log and loser list, like their rap sheet, their MO for alcoholism. Based on your loser list, is life becoming impossible? Yes or no? And, and, and have you passed into a region from which you, there is no return through human aid? Based on your log list, are you beyond human aid? And if I get two yeses there, well, we come down to those crossroads. Uh, one is to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. And the other is to accept spiritual help. And we did this because we honestly wanted a solution. Are you ready to accept spiritual help? And there's a paragraph in the, the doctor's opinion that says, and strange as it may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, that very same person who seemed doomed, who seemed such a loser, who had so many problems they ever despaired of solving them, suddenly find themselves easily able to control their desire to drink for alcohol. Imagine having the ability to easily control that desire. And the only effort necessary is to follow a few simple rules, to follow the recipe of recovery as laid out in the big book of AA. So if you decided you want what we have, what do we have? We have recovery. And are you willing to go to any length? That is without any half measures, then you're ready to take certain steps. Ask to ask the newcomer if they want to quit for good. I wanted to quit for good, not just one day at a time. And if they would go to any extreme to do so, what do we mean by any extreme? 
to follow the instructions in the big book. That's what we mean by any extreme. And if they say yes, their attention should be drawn to you as a person of recovery. Share the hope, share the faith, share that experience, strength, and hope with them and what your life is like today. So when therefore we're approached by those, those big book sponsors in whom the problem had been solved, that they had recovered, there was nothing left for us to do but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. Are you now ready to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools? Yes or no? And I'm for that. How about you? God bless. I hope you like that. I'll post the link in the chat. Thank you so much, Jeannie.